You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. This is the last week in our season on this expansion, and I've been telling just stories. Not too much explanation, not too much even exhortation, really. We're just seeing how the stories affect us. It's been kind of a fun experiment. I'm telling three stories. One story from someone uh, on our trans historical body blog. Circle of Hope keeps a a blog called Celebrating Our Trans Historical Body. Folks who have died in the way of Jesus and given us an example that we want to remember. I'm also telling a story kind of imaginatively based out of the Bible uh, each week. And also a story from one of us, a story from right here and right now. They all kind of come out of my imagination, and that's kind of my theme for what I have to say today, is how the imagination and the Holy Spirit work together to make beautiful things. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we might not really remember that these are human beings cooperating and listening to God. They're not telegraphs, machines. They're not speaking Morse code. They're having a, a, an ex, a human experience with God that's probably more similar to your human experience with God than you often want to give yourself credit for. But if you think someone like me wrote the Bible, that's kind of the premise. Someone like me in relationship with God, received some revelation and then had to figure out how to say it. Someone received a calling from the Lord and had to figure out how to do it. Someone received that love in their hands and had to do what they could with their hands to share it. So this week, our our inspiration from the Trans Historical Body blog is Fred Rogers, who we remember died this week in uh, he died in the 90s I think I have the date in my story I'll tell you later and then we're also going to remember or think about John's revelation in the revelation revelation the last book of the Bible how did that come to him we'll get help from blind Willie Johnson for that story and also Prochorus a legendary scribe of John. Look forward to that one. <laughs> and the last one is a story that I imagined after talking with Anita Brown. Anita Grace Brown. That's that's her that's her that's her middle name. So, let's start with Fred Rogers. Everyone knows who Mr. Rogers is, but you might not have known everything about him. So let's let's read about Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers, television pioneer and gentle subversive for Jesus, was born in 1928 in Latrobe, PA. He went to a local high school and studied piano at Dartmouth and Rollins College in Florida and graduated in 1951. While taking a break from college to visit his parents, he saw their newest favorite gadget, the television. He had mixed feelings about the programming, but he was inspired to use the powerful medium for something wonderful. Rogers married Sarah Bird in 1952, and they had two sons. 
He got one of his first jobs working at a local Pittsburgh community television station, WQED. He became one of the pioneers of the field as part of a team who improvised the program called Children's Corner, also serving as a puppeteer. While developing meaningful content for kids, Rogers also finished his Masters of Divinity from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary after he was ordained by the Presbyterian Church USA in 1963, the church charged him to create quality programming for children. He moved to Toronto in 1963 to play Mr. Rogers in a show for the Canadian Broadcasting Company Corporation. Here he further developed several characters and songs that would become famous. The 15-minute program was called Mr. Rogers, one word. In 1966, he acquired the rights to various elements of the show and moved back to Pittsburgh to work with WQED, and he began Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, for, wh he for which he wrote most of the scripts and the music, played several of the characters, and hosted until 2000. I said he died in the 90s. No, he died in the 2000s. In 1968, PBS, the Public Broadcasting Service, began pro broadcasting Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood all across the country. And everyone in this room has seen it at least once, if not hundreds of times. During its run of daily episodes, daily episodes, Rogers hardly embellished his off-screen personality, besides the puppets, of course, because he thought authenticity was a gift to kids. He did not endorse any products and only, saved, and only served as a spokesperson for a few nonprofits dealing with education. He visited children in the Pittsburgh hospitals, regularly and volunteered inside a state prison. This man not a saint. When PBS's funding was under fire by the Senate by a Senate committee in 1969, Rogers gave a key testimony that saved the station. And on the the, the Trans Historical Body blog, it has a YouTube clip of this video that every time I watch it, it makes me cry. It's like, "Oh my goodness, we could have power." And, 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 and maybe the Senate would listen. That would be amazing. Still possible. The show was very simple, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and did not include f fast-paced action or overstimulating animations, which Rogers called bombardment. Wearing the famous zip-up cardigans knitted by his mother, Mr. Rogers talked directly to his audience, imaginatively and engagingly, he took them on field trips to see how crayons were made and explored themes of being afraid, going to school, how good it feels to be able to control your temper, teaching kids that they have worth and love and, and to love themselves and others. He brought in various guests, including several recurring characters. In each episode, as you all know, a trolley would come into his living room and take the audience to the land of make-believe. His opening and closing songs, as well as the changing of jackets to sweaters and shoes to sneakers, helped us all feel like he was actually our neighbor. Rogers won four Emmys, plus a Daytime Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. And that acceptance speech, which is also on the blog, and you should watch, um, it became famous as he used 10 seconds of silence for the crowd and the viewers to think about people who loved them into being who they are. Let's do that now. Take 10 seconds and just think of someone who loved you into being who you are. Yes.
Rogers was given numerous other honors over the years, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. Rogers was known and admired for his calm and quirky personality and devoted faith. He was known to swim every day, ate a vegetarian diet, and was red-green colorblind. Shortly after the last show aired in 2001, Fred Rogers was diagnosed with stomach cancer. The operations were not successful, and he died at home surrounded by his wife and family on uh, this day, which was Thursday the 28th just before he had turned 75. Mr. Rogers. Let's keep going. Here's another story. Again, I'm telling stories that are mostly imagined from here on out. And we need some help for this one. But this is where it comes from, or part of it comes from, in the book of Revelation. Can someone read the first one, and then someone else read the second one. Revelation of Jesus Christ, God gave him to show his service from the scene to his place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take the part of To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. <laughs> no, it was it was a shining Jesus. That's the that's the foundation. This is his description of how he received the revelation. And what follows here is a meditation that's a little wandering and ends in a poem. So follow me, please. Blind Willie Johnson recorded John the Revelator during his fifth and final recording session for Columbia Records in Atlanta, Georgia on April 20th, 1930. Accompanying Johnson on vocal and guitar is Willie B. Harris, sometimes identified as his first wife who sings the response parts of the song. Let's listen to it. These are the words. And I'm hoping to be able to click through so we can read the words as he, as he sings, David. So he, he'll set that up. Well, who's that riding? Who's that riding? Who's that riding? Son of our God, daughter of Zion, stood at the line 
This next song that David's going to play in a second, also from Blind Willie Johnson, might get it even more. In 1977, Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, was one of the uh, 27 songs selected for the Voyager Golden Record that Carl Sagan and a team of researchers sent out into outer space so that if some other life form might discover it someday, they could play the sounds of Earth. And, and this next song that we're going to listen to was chosen as one of the 27 songs that encapsulated the human experience. Dark was the night, cold the ground, is a blues song that reflects on something blind Willie Johnson experienced many times in his hard life, the gathering dark and no shelter to sleep in. One comment on this video for this song on YouTube says, just close your eyes and listen to this melody. You will feel how alone we really are in this never-ending universe. 
And this song indeed has a very sad melody. Just melodic sighing, guitar, and the occasional, oh Lord. But that occasional, oh Lord, makes the commenter far from correct. The occasion of the, of, of the Lord is the promise of the dark night and cold ground we all experience. That night is the occasion for the Lord. So let's listen to this one now, David. had exiled John the Revelator to Patmos for his prophecy against the powers that be. Marooned, alone, few companions, few comforts.
Paris. Here's the gold record. The next slide is a picture of the monastery where they have turned the cave of the apocalypse of the revelation into this kind of shrine. And behind those icons on the wall there is the stone slab on which they believe John received his revelation, resting his head on a rock as the story goes. The next slide is a picture of the outside of the monastery and a view from what might have been do I have that one? Oh, I guess I took that one out. There, I did have a view of the sea. There was light outside of the shallow cave in which John lay. Eastern Orthodox monks on the island of Patmos tell the story right there of John receiving his revelation. And as they tell the story, John dictated his vision to his faithful servant, Prohorus. Prohorus. Not sure how to say the name. Who might have gone with him into exile. So, from the backdrop of infinite space, the Voyager 1 is currently more than 13 billion miles away from the Earth. From the backdrop of blind Willie Johnson's haunting music and the murky details that we have of his life, he died 26,829 days ago in 1945. From the similarly murky figure of John the Revelator comes this poem written by Prohorus, as imagined by me. Oh, there it is. It's called Prohorus's Pen. His words came slowly from a twisted face shaped not by pain but by unquenched desire. With all his might, he fought to find the space in which the words and visions would conspire to full reveal the depth of what he saw when darkness burst with shining and he went with him who called him by his very awe on up to where the veil between was rent. But how to say it well when now was here and then was all of it in an in instant blast. The seals, the lamps, the bowls, and holy fear, the beast, the fire, and all the crowns off cast. He wrung the words from dreaming, shaped them hour by hour, and we, the channel of this power. That's how I imagine the process was. One last story about Anita Grace Brown. Again, this is an imagined story based on a story that Anita told me. I took artistic license and she gave me permission to do so. This is kind of like what she might experience and what you probably experience too. Trying to give words to what you're given from God. She sat on the sofa in the family room in the accumulating darkness of midnight 
Sitting cross-legged on the couch, she wondered how late it was and how early she would wake in the morning. Would it be enough if she fell asleep now? Would it be enough if she fell asleep now? Her mind traced the breath of her breathing family in their beds. Bob had gone to bed hours ago. She said she wouldn't be long, but she had been long. She wondered how long. Grown children sleeping upstairs too, no longer babies. So no longer babies. Their tiny limbs longer than ever she thought imaginable on the days when they were born. Their sleeping breath pushed in and out by fully developed lungs as heavy as almost half their infant bodies. Rebecca weighed seven pounds, seven ounces, and Luke, maybe seven, six. The average human adult lung weighs three pounds, both of them together. Her own breath was the same size as theirs, but felt so much heavier than that. In the dark, it seemed like her breath consumed the whole room, brick and wood, cushions and chairs, tearing down her trachea. Yes, her breath was heavy, hard, and out of shape. When one breathes as much as Anita did, a breath takes on a shape that speaks more than bodily need for air. Her breath spoke millions of words, consumed structures, and sometimes tore them down. How many hours on the mat had made these breaths so significant? How long had she been breathing? More than the hour and the shape of the room, the heaviness and awkward shape of these breaths on this couch in the middle of the night, more, more uncomfortable than that was the lack of breath in her grandmother. Her family slept upstairs and breathed, thank God, but elsewhere, her family breathed less, for grandmother was gone. Her grandmother who raised her with her mother, her friend and sister more than just a parent. One of two women who knew her infant body, perhaps as well as Anita knew Rebecca's and Luke's. Her grandmother's death had notched her breath with tears and sobs for several weeks. But tonight it was only a big black lack at midnight, an uneasy, heavy feeling that kept her awake when the whole house slept. She had decided that night not to lie in bed and wish that emptiness away. Instead, she sat and sat and sat, waiting. But for what? She was growing tired of the task, but not sleepy. Kind of getting stuck in heaviness that didn't seem likely to heal anything at this point. She wasn't ashamed to call it boredom. She wanted something else to happen. She closed her eyes, knowing that the dark shapes of the room had little more to say, and that the something else would come from inside rather than out. She tried, as she had for hours, to focus her breath into a smooth rhythm. She wanted to conjure the peace she had so often felt. She had the technique, but right now the spirit escaped her, as it had for what must be hours now. But she would try again. 
Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. She wanted to scream out a, out a heaving breath and heap all the heavy on the family room floor. And at any other time, she might have just done it. A good scream was a good thing. It would certainly be something else. But it would certainly wake the family, and she knew she didn't need to do that. For she had found the something in the stifling of the scream. She pulled the lamp cord and squinted in the sudden light. Opening her waiting notebook, she took up her pen and tumbled out a poem in moments. Spirit did this sometimes. Her emotional midnight was a door into expression that was for her and might be for many more as well. It felt like a gift, so she gave it. And here's a real poem from Anita. Resist the urge to scream. So hard to be thankful for these dark days. Telling all in confident terms, all is well. Freedom's at hand. Back inside, there's no escape. A vice-like grip on heart and mind. Soul like a specter, slipping through bony, superhuman restraint. Resist. Resist the urge. Resist the urge to scream. Focus on blue sky. Thy kingdom come. In the luminous darkness, I remain. That's that. These are so kind of, uh, these stories are meant to wash over you. And I, I think it might be good to just move right into worship now. Tell us later, or tell your cell later, what, what, what it's stirring up in you. And, uh, and we'll just come right into this time of worship where I, we're inviting you to feel that heartbeat, keep that heart moving in God's direction, and it's an opportunity, an invitation. Go with as much as you can. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.